Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. I'm glad to have you with me. It is my show across the nation from Atlanta, Georgia. The phone number, if you would like to call, and I guess I should open the call screening program. It is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425 if you want to call. Now, I've got to go back to a caller from yesterday to start the show. In the last hour of the program yesterday, uh, the president spoke and we covered his remarks about COVID and how the the White House is pivoting from we're going to stop COVID to we're going to manage COVID. It was an interesting pivot that needed to come. I've been saying for a while they needed to do it. They're clearly listening to those of us who have been saying it. Uh, Too little too late at this point, I think. But I took phone calls from people afterwards And one of the people who called in, he may be listening today, uh, Franklin called. Don't need to play you all of Franklin's call. I just need to play you the beginning of Franklin's call to set up the problem that the Democrats have right now between their January 6th stuff to the filibuster fight to everything in between. The Democrats have a real problem. And Franklin, the caller yesterday, captured this. So here now... Me talking to Franklin yesterday. All right, back to the phones. Franklin, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing, Mr. Eric? Great. How are um, you? I'm fine. Now, I called in when you were talking about inflation and uh, the price of food and oh, stuff like fine. that. And you move on to a new subject. I just had a quick question because I'm really confused. I'm not a rocket science. Never said I was the smartest person in the class. But when Trump was president, we made more money. We brought more money home. Food was cheaper. Gas was cheaper. We Mm -hmm. literally, I myself, did so much better financially than I did when Obama was president or that I'm doing now when Biden's president. What is the Democrats' argument going to be come election time? I I just don't get it. Well, I mean, Franklin, don't you understand that, I mean, if you vote Republican, you're voting for those insurrectionist racist bigots who tried to storm the Capitol and create a coup. I mean, that's the honestly, that's the best card they have. I understand that. I understand that. But, you know, be honest. I'm an African-American. Okay, I live in Georgia. Okay, I don't care if President Trump is a racist. I don't care if he don't like Mexicans or black people. I made more money. My life was better. My family life was better, and they were safer living in Georgia. Yeah. So, you know, listen, I I pointed this out, Franklin, the other day, and I'm still getting angry hate mail from progressives. I I put out a tweet the other day, and I said, you people may be obsessed with January 6th, but your average American is obsessed with inflation, crime, and having a job. And they're still lighting me on fire for saying it. But it's true. But when Clinton was president and he cheated, you know, with Monica and he did his little thing, the first thing they said was, we don't care. He's a good president. What does that have? He's a horrible man, horrible husband, but a good president. Well, the same yeah. thing with Trump. He may right. be a racist. I don't care. He's a good <laughs> he president. made more money. <laughs> I made more this, money. There, therein lies the problem for the Democrats. The January 6th commission intends to have a live televised primetime hearing, and you know darn well everyone in the media is going to cover it live, except Fox, probably. You know it. They want you to care passionately about it. 
So I do show prep every day, and I have uh, a pile of news websites that I open. Uh, Let me read you some of the headlines that are out there right now. Francis Fukuyama from the New York Times, one single day, that's all it took for the world to look away from us. Matt Fuller of the Daily Beast, the real tragedy of January 6th is that it is still not over. Ed Pillington of The Guardian, more than a 1,000 U.S. public figures aided Trump's effort to overturn the election. Alan Fuhr of the New York Times, prosecutors move quickly on January 6th cases, but one big question remains. Monetary of the Bulwark, did the January 6th coup fail? E.J. Dion, Washington Post, real accountability for January 6th requires political reform. The Associated Press, images of chaos, AP photographers capture U.S. Capitol riot. New York Times, how Trump kept his grip after January 6th. John Nichols of the nation to avert another January 6th expel coup plotters from Congress. Travis Getty at Raw Story, more than a thousand public figures exposed as accomplices. The accomplices, CNN, five enduring lies about the Capitol insurrection. Politico playbook, Republicans dodge and deflect. Politico, January 6th committee seeks phone records from Sebastian Gorka, Emily Davies, and other U.S. Capitol Police officers sues Trump. Jack Coyle, Associated Press, recalling January 6th. And then that's an amalgamation of all the the major headlines today. Then you go over to CNN, and top story at CNN, January 6th, change what it means to be a Republican here, a profile of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And then the headline of the New York Times, the top story, A long, hard year for Republicans who voted to impeach after January 6th. And then the Los Angeles Times, Pelosi and McCarthy in their own words on January 6th. And so it goes. What about the Washington Post? Ah, yep, yep. Center story, top of the fold, Washington Post. Is the Capitol any safer a year after January 6th? Those are the headlines. Those are the headlines today. Tomorrow is January 6th. You'd think they'd wait a day, but oh, they got an extravaganza prepared for tomorrow. And all of this ties into Chuck Schumer and his filibuster fight. Voting rights reform. Now, you need to understand that they want the headlines and the story, not a solution. How do I know? Because there are enough votes in the Senate to overcome a filibuster to fix the Electoral College. There is a piece of legislation, an Electoral College reform legislation, that would make it very clear that the arguments used by Trump supporters to stop the legitimacy of Electoral College votes last year or I guess now two years ago, could not be used, would be invalid. Uh, It would make clear the vice president has no discretion. All of these things that Trump supporters alleged this law would make clear are not valid. It would clarify the Electoral College Act that was written in the 1800s. There are 10 Republican senators who would support it, including John Thune, the second or third ranking Republican. Chuck Schumer refuses to bring it to the floor. The Democrats want the issue. They want the grievance. They don't want to fix it. 
Now, why? Why don't they want to fix it? Well, because they have nothing left. They're making a fight over the filibuster. They don't have the votes for it. Manchin and Cinema say, nope, not going to do it. 50-50 Senate, if you want what you want, pick up more seats. They're not going to do it, but they're going to have to fight. Why? Because the only card they have left is convincing people like Franklin, who called in and said he was doing better under Trump. That's all that matters to him. Got to convince him that he'd actually do worse now because they're secessionist, seditionist, insurrectionist, racist bigots. And it'll keep their side infuriated and hopefully turn them out of November. Remember, off-year elections tend to have lower turnout than presidential elections. So how do you overcome that, particularly when the side that controls the White House tends to be the side that stays home in the off year? You make them mad. You make them convinced the republic itself is at stake. You convince them if they don't go, the Republicans will set up an authoritarian regime and there will be no democracy left. That's what you do. That's what you've got to do. You got nothing left to play. But it's not going to work. The media cares greatly about January 6th. The Democrats, they feel like that's their only hand to play in this election, so they care about it. Notice, again, that they could fix the problem, but they don't want to fix the problem. They have the Republican votes to fix the problem in the Senate. They don't need them in the House. They've got the votes in the Senate, and yet they won't do it. They won't fix the problem because if they fix the problem, the grievance goes away, and they need the grievance. By the way, are you hearing about this in the media? The votes are there. The votes are there for the Electoral College Reform Act. There's a bipartisan group of senators and people in the House, bipartisan, who are ready to pass it. They've got enough votes in the Senate to overcome the filibuster. Are you hearing about this at CNN? Are you hearing about this at MSNBC? Are you hearing about this in the newspaper? Are you hearing about this on NPR? The votes are there. Would fix all the problems that inspired people to think they could storm the Capitol on January 6th and stop Biden from becoming president. But you're not hearing about it. You're not because as much as they say they care, as much as they say they want to fix it, they don't. They want to keep people spun up about it for the election. This is all political. If it wasn't, they would put it on the floor and it would pass. But they're not. If it wasn't political, you'd hear the media talking about it. But the the media is deeply invested in helping the Democrats. But here's the underlying problem. Voters don't care. They can excoriate me for saying it, and they are, by the way. You should see the hate mail. But voters don't care. Voters care about crime. Voters care about their job. 
Voters care about their take-home pay. Voters care about grocery bills and gas bills and keeping the lights on and the bills reasonable in the wintertime, and the Democrats are screwing up all of that. You heard I played the audio of Franklin, the caller, said he didn't care. He's black, and he didn't care that Trump was a racist. He didn't care that Trump hated black and white, black people or Mexicans. What he cared about is he made more money and things cost less when Donald Trump was president. That's the fundamental problem as we head into campaign season now that the Democrats have. They can have a prime time hearing of the January 6th committee. They can grandstand, they can pontificate, and they can have very serious people looking mournfully in the cameras on CNN and MSNBC, looking super serious, super serial. It's not going to make a damn bit of difference. The voters have less take-home pay because of inflation and groceries. That is what matters. Now, you can take a very high mind and say this deeply matters for democracy and the republic. And yes, I, I do think January 6th was condemnable, and I am appalled at the Republicans who have revised the history of it to make it something laudable. It wasn't. But it also doesn't matter for the election. And I would note that when the Democrats were storming state capitol buildings, shutting down legislatures, the media didn't care. So why should we now? You don't get January 6th without the progressive activists storming the state capitals in Texas and Wisconsin and other states. No one would have been inspired to do it had they not seen the Democrats do it first. And they got a pass. One doesn't make the other right. They're both wrong. But this isn't what about. This is trying to make people understand. You keep setting these little precedents. You lose control of the situation. But the Democrats, they can't control the situation because they can't control the current political narrative about inflation and crime and school shutdowns and grocery bills. That's what voters care about right now. They don't care about January 6th. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Stay on the line, please. I, I don't have time to get to you in this current segment, but I promise Uh, Out of the gate, I will take calls when we come back. Right now, though, I, you know, there are stories you're probably not going to hear anywhere else, and I'm I'm fascinated by this. Uh, Toyota has outsold General Motors in the United States. The first time since General Motors was not the best-selling car company in America. Uh, Now, why this is important, Toyota had a better supply chain for microchips for its vehicles. And so they were able to produce more Tundras. The Tundra, the Toyota Tundra uh, truck is becoming a big seller. And uh, GM kind of fell off because of the microchip. You know, I ran into this. I I had a specific vehicle that I wanted to get uh, and I wasn't able to get it. I I was able to get very close to it, but not exactly what I wanted because of the microchip shortage. And uh, Ford and GM have been less able to manage that shortage than companies like Toyota. And the best company on the planet for managing it is Apple, 
which is now the only $3 trillion company on planet Earth. I think it actually fell back to about $2.9 trillion. Uh, but it really has to do with supply chain management. Now, General Motors is doing well. I mean, don't, don't cry for General Motors. And Toyota is actually um, being very humble about its number one win, pointing out that it had more to do with supply chain issues than anything else, uh, which is good for them. They're not trying to rub it into GM. But it actually is kind of notable that for the first time since 1931, GM is not the best-selling brand in America. Toyota is. And I can tell you, there are Toyotas everywhere out there. But I'll tell you the other one that's coming on, particularly those of us in the Southeast, is Kia. Um, I got my daughter, my 16-year-old, a Kia Telluride, brand new. Now, I'm not bragging about that because I'm kind of ashamed of it, to be honest with you. Uh, No kid, no teenager should have a brand new car unless they buy it themselves. But we needed a third vehicle in the house, and the used car that we were looking at was as expensive as or close to like $5,000 difference from the brand new vehicle. And, you know, ironically, I got the vehicle and it has so many safety features. The car we were going to go with, our insurance person told us it would have been offset that the our insurance payment would have been so much higher uh, with the other vehicle that uh, the bill kind of works out. But I, I just, I'm, I'm still kind of appalled that I found that I never had a new car until I was in my 30s and got a job at CNN and was making good money. Um, my kids don't know how good they have it. Nonetheless, uh, Kia in the Southeast has some of the the not as bad supply chain issues as some of the others. But the big supply chain issues are American car manufacturers. And primarily what this is, talking to a couple of people who who actually know this industry better than I am, is GM and Ford and to what Chrysler, whatever Chrysler's parent company is now, have always gotten priority treatment from a lot of the overseas electronic makers. In the past year, a lot of the Asian companies like Toyota, Nissan, and the like saw what was coming sooner than the American auto manufacturers did. And so they started planning uh, before the American automakers were even tipped off. So they secured their pl- supply chain better than the American car manufacturers. Apple, of course, controls its own supply chain for phones. So it's not having the problem that Samsung and, and some of the other phone manufacturers are having. Speaking of, pour one out for the poor BlackBerry people. We'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, just fascinating data here. Now, when we come back, I want to take your phone calls. We've got a number of people being very patient on the phone. And also, we got to move into the change of the White House message on COVID, which in and of itself is very interesting. They're going to manage, not fight, and end COVID now. Hello there. It's Eric Erickson here. Welcome. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I got an email from a listener. And yes, it is true. You may be able to hear it a little bit. All the weather change. My my voice fades in and out. I I, I wake up in the morning and I can't talk at all. Uh, take a steamy shower and I can, but everybody in my house has a sinus infection except for me. And I think I'm getting it. We none of us have COVID. It's just the weather change. It was 80 degrees on New Year's Day and 40 degrees the day after. It it, it always throws me for a loop. So that's what's going on. Now, let's go to the phones. Thomas, thank you for waiting patiently. You're up first. Hi there, Thomas. Tom, Thomas. (laughs) 
He's uh, he's on the phone and he has no idea. You know what? Let, let's put Thomas back on the phone. Maybe we'll, we'll we'll try him again here in a minute. Let's go to Ricky. Ricky, welcome to the program. Hey, Eric. How you doing, man? Great. How are you? Happy New Year to you. Best Happy day of my life. You know, I agree with the brother. You know, but I don't think Trump's a racist. If, if, if Trump is very transparent. If he's a tra- he is a opportunist. If Black Lives Matter tomorrow, I say Trump is my favorite person, they would be his favorite people. That's who he is. I personally don't think he's going to run. Uh, I think his brand is dead, but he's going to take, he's going to eat this up because they can't stop talking about it. Now, That's I mean, true. life was, I was, in, I was in Chicago, I was in Chicago in November. Gas was $5 a gallon. Jeez. $5 a gallon. That's $100 to fill my truck up. It's crazy. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Biden, and and you're going into it next, and I can tell you, when Biden said he's going to stop the virus, he can't stop the virus. Trump couldn't stop the virus. Clinton couldn't stop the virus. Obama can't. No politician is going to stop this virus. I don't know where they get that from, but it's just not going to happen. They get it from Dr. Fauci, who who misled them all. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you, you're not going to stop a microbe. Uh, Obama couldn't stop the H1N1. Uh, Trump and, and Biden can't stop COVID. And you know, by the way, Ricky, I, I'm glad you called in on this point because you know Donald Trump is not a racist, and and I will no, continue to double down on that. And uh, the left can scream it all they want. You know, I mean, he used to date a black woman. Uh, Donald Trump is not a racist. Uh, Donald Trump has a a ton of, of friends who are black. He has been involved in the black community. They they don't like to talk about it. They like to ignore it. Um, he, he's not a racist. Now, he says things that makes people skin crawl, but these days, uh, you say anything the left doesn't like, they call you a racist, and so they will call Donald Trump a racist. And he is many things, because, uh, but that he's not. Yeah, but that but because that's all they got. It, yeah. uh, racist, when you call a racist, it's hard to attack because it's, it's, it's uh, subjective. So that's all they got. So yep. all the, every t- everything they scream racist, and I'm going to tell you about this election, I'll let you go. They, they've already set it up. It, when they lose, and they're going to lose in 2022, mm-hmm. it's all because the Republicans changed all the laws yep. so that they, the black folks can't vote. There's not one law that changed in Georgia that will stop anybody that wants to vote from voting. Not one thing in that law. Amen. Yep. L- R- Ricky, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have you preaching. Thank you for calling. Happy New Year to you. You're right. You're right. They, they, you know, we had major elections here in Georgia, municipal elections, the whole city of Atlanta, big election. Didn't stop anybody from voting. You didn't hear any screams of voter suppression. Oh, but you're going to, you're going to this year. That's the playbook. Now let's see if, if, uh, let's see, Thomas, you there? Yeah, I'm here. All right, Thomas, you're up next. Welcome. So basically, we get a lot of anger. We got um, anger on the left, anger on the right. We got a lot of people that are paying attention to the anger and the whole monotony. But it still doesn't come down to the question which we ultimately should be asking. What's the solution? How do we be a part of it? And that's even in the small ways and the big ways. You know, of course, this is the question that should be on our mind. So in the streets and in our small towns, a lot of people are, are okay to do that. But how do we actually get this across? So I guess my question you comes down to is how can the little Joe Smoes like myself be a part of the solution and what is our part to contribute into? 
That is an excellent question. And, you know, I, 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 y'all are going to have to forgive me getting a little preachy here, but I, I know the answer. And, and I, I, I sincerely, I, I, I know this. So for those of you who, who missed the point, uh, so Thomas's question here is how do you, the little guy, the guy with no political influence, the guy in, in a small town or a big city, how do you be part of the solution instead of part of the rage machine that's raging against everything? It's actually very easy, but it's very hard at the same time. It's Jeremiah 29. Seek the welfare of the city in which you live and pray for it, and there you will find your welfare. That's actually the solution. Now, now hear me out. The data, the objective data, shows that progressives are far less likely to know conservatives and be friends with them than conservatives are to know and be friends with progressives. Now, why is this? It has mostly to do with geography. A lot of progressives uh, ensconce themselves within urban areas and conservatives live in rural, exurban, and suburban areas. Those conservatives then commute into the cities where the progressives live to go to work, and then they go home at night. The progressives are there all the time, so they rarely have an opportunity to make friends with conservatives. The real solution to this, and this is your no BS honest answer solution, is that you as a conservative, I can't talk to the progressives about this right now. Uh, I don't know that they're listening, but it applies to them as well. But you as a conservative, do you know where the soup kitchen is in your town? Do you know where the food bank or food pantry is? Do you know where the local Goodwill is, the local Salvation Army? Do you know where the battered women's shelter is? And are you working there? Are you volunteering? Seek the welfare of the city in which you live, and there you'll find your welfare. To their credit, a lot of progressives volunteer for social service organizations in cities and in suburban areas. In fact, overwhelmingly, you tend to find that conservatives volunteer in social relief with churches and progressives do the other. You, too, should be volunteering at the food bank and the soup kitchen and the battered women's shelter and the goodwill, not just the Salvation Army, although I love the Salvation Army. Yeah, yeah, I know, the training session, whatever. The Salvation Army is a great organization. Your local churches as well should be involved in local communities. Instead of just sending kids off to uh, the beach to work on their tan and and, and take care of some kids or houses in, in third world countries, do it in your own community. Seek the welfare of the city in which you live. Not the city you want to live. Not the city you want to go on mission trips to. Your city. The actual scripture there, I think, is kind of beautiful. Now, for perspective here, in Jeremiah 29, this is actually the word of God himself to his people who have gone into exile. And God comes to Jeremiah and says, Jeremiah, pull out your pen. I'm going to tell you something. You're going to write a letter. And you're going to get it to the people in Babylon in exile. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. Build houses and live in them. 
plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. It's a lie. They're prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them. For 70 years, you will stay in Babylon. Then I will visit you. You are in exile here on planet Earth. You are in a city. Now, I have done enough research on this passage of Scripture. I can tell you that when it says, seek the welfare of the city in which I have sent you into exile, it does not mean your state. And it does not mean your country. It specifically means your city, your local region, your county, your city, your region. Doesn't mean your whole state. Doesn't mean your nation. It means your local area. So what are you to do? Well, you're to raise your family there. You're to have kids, be fruitful and multiply. And the bottom line is this. Ultimately, what happens is the people in your community, they get to know you. The progressives, they see you coming to help. They see you're actually helping. You actually care. They have you stereotyped as some bigoted, self-interest racist. Here you are at the soup kitchen helping. How can you be bad? They have to get to know you. They get to know you and they realize, you know what? We may disagree on stuff, but I like that guy. He's here helping me. They see your children, your well-behaved children growing in the community. They see your kids getting involved in the community. And there's something else that goes on here too. You're not worried about Washington. I get hate mail for saying what I'm about to say. My gosh, I have some woman on Instagram who is obsessed with me when I say this, and she sends me angry notes on Instagram every time I say it. I don't know who this person is. Doesn't even live in Georgia, but she listens, I guess, on the live stream. <clears throat> but the reality is, in Washington, D.C., your life has not really profoundly changed very much under George Bush, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, or Joe Biden. Washington rarely upends your life very much. Now, that's not to say it doesn't upend your life. Don't hear me saying it never does. But on a day-to-day -day basis, you're more likely to feel the effects of your local school board. You're more likely to feel the effects of your local police. You're more likely to feel the effects of your local mayor and city council and county commission, county commissioners. You're way more likely to feel the effects of local governance at the local level than national governance. You are. You may be spun up all the time about Washington and Obamacare and taxes and build back better, but on a day-to-day -day basis, your local government matters more. And so you should worry more about your local government. And right now, I mean, look at the school situation. How many of you know who your school board member is? You're paying taxes for schools, whether you got kids in them or not. Do you know who your local school board member is? Have you ever been to one of the meetings? Have you ever been to your city council meeting? Go there. Get to know those people. You're their constituent too. 
I bet you all know you're a member of Congress. I bet you all know your senator. I bet some of you listening right now, you've been to events where they are. But have you been to your city council meeting? Have you been to your school board meeting? Do you know them? Do they know you are their constituent too? Seek the welfare of your local community and pray for it because there you'll find your welfare. That's the answer to the problem. It is a real answer. It's not a made-up answer. It's not a hypothetical answer. It is the only answer that matters. The more you unplug from your local community and fixate on Washington, the more angry you're going to be. The more spun up about things that are out of your control, you're going to be. We are reaching a point in this country's history where we are more divided than we've been since probably the Civil War. And it's not a north-south divide. It's not a slave-anti-slave divide. It's an urban and unurban area divide. It's a geographic divide. And it's a geographic divide within, within communities, within states. Atlanta versus the rest of Georgia. Houston, Dallas, Austin, San Antonio versus the rest of Texas. Los Angeles and San Francisco versus the rest of California. And it's easy for the left to not know you because they live there. And I'm not telling you to move into the cities. What I am telling you is you get involved in your local community. When the left comes for you, your local community will say, well, you can't come for that guy. We need him. We, we wouldn't be able to serve the poor without him. We wouldn't be able to help without him. We wouldn't be able to volunteer in schools without him. Got a buddy of mine, Bruce Thompson. He is uh, running for labor commissioner in Georgia. Great guy. He organized all the, the churches, the priests, the ministers, or the rabbis to get together once a year over Christmas, get to know each other face-to-face. Different denominations, heck, different religions to a degree. But he gets them all together once a year and was able to get them all to organize volunteers to get into local schools in his county. So all the churches, the synagogues, they send volunteers now into the local public schools in Bartow County, Georgia, because this one guy who was in the state legislature realized there was a need. And he's a Christian, and he thought, we need to seek the welfare of our community. So we got all the preachers, the priests, the rabbis, the ministers together. I mean, I've been to one of these parties. You had the Anglican, the Episcopalian, the Catholic, the Mormon, the Jew, the Baptist, the Presbyterian, the other Baptist, the second Baptist guy who's only there because the first Baptist people split and had a second Baptist church. You got the PCA Presbyterians, the PCUSA Presbyterians. They're all there together, having a good time, talking, saying they can fix their community together. They have. Literacy rates have gone up thanks to what Bruce did, thanks to what they did, because they sought the welfare of their community. So seek the welfare of your community. That's the actual answer. That is the actual answer. You want a solution to what ails us as a society? It's forget about Washington and think about the city you live in at this very moment. And if you're listening to Washington, think about it. But if not, put your city first and the people who live there first because they will have your back if you have theirs. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. And if you're patient with me, I'll get your phone calls as soon as we come back out of the gate. I just, I, you know, I was planning on doing an entire different segment in the last segment. 
I was going to talk about managing uh, COVID and the change of the White House message. Then Thomas calls with this question of how do we be the solution? Well, that kind of got me out there. But nonetheless, um, I, I got to note two things just real quick. Uh, you know, I have long been a fan of CNN. I feel like I got to start it this way. I've long been a fan of CNN. I work there. I, I still know a lot of the people there. They're very nice people. I don't know what the hell has happened to that network. They seem to want to be MSNBC light. So they're just being a news network. You know, I've been going on a, a news program. Uh, Leland Vitter used to be at Fox. He's now over at News Nation. New News Network. And they are by the book, straight down the middle. Um, just give us the facts. Uh, no punditry. Uh, they they bring on people like me to try to fill in the blanks for what my side is thinking uh, without all the spin stuff. They, they, Leland calls BS very quickly. It's what CNN used to do. And I'm just, I, I'm perplexed on all of this now because CNN yesterday ran a story that uh, weight loss helps fight COVID. We've been literally making this point since 2020. CNN, for the first time, announces a study suggests that uh, if you lose weight, uh, you have a better chance against COVID. We've literally known this for two years, and they're reporting it as new. And then Chris Saliza, who's their pontificator of conventional wisdom yesterday, has this tweet thread out saying, you know, uh, I didn't know anybody who got COVID. And now with Omicron, they're telling me they actually had COVID last year when they didn't admit it at the time. Were we shaming people? So that they didn't feel comfortable admitting they got COVID? Well, duh, of course. We've been talking about this since 2020. And it's suddenly new. How the hell are these people in such a bubble that they didn't know? Or did they know and they just didn't care? I think that's probably it. But to be treating this stuff as if it's all new and, and surprise, oh my gosh, we had no idea when you and I have known for two years, it just further undermines their credibility. Please do better, CNN. I love you guys. Do better. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution. If you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business, First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan, say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com.